SFG Radio. Hello and welcome to SFG Radio, where we're bringing you stories from our employees around the business. I'm Holly Hanbury from your corporate marketing team, and I'm joined today by CFO Don Lyons and CIO John Melvin to get their insights on the economy, inflation, and who the heck is Silicon Valley Bank? Guys, welcome. Thanks for joining me today. Great to be here. Thanks, Holly. All right. So I want to start by providing our listeners with a little bit of clarity on your roles as leaders. Um, specifically, how do the CFO and CIO work together? You know, where do your your worlds overlap and where do they become more distinct? Because a lot of people might see the finance crowd kind of like the IT crowd. We know there are different areas of expertise within it, like data security or infrastructure, tech support. What are your teams focused on? Uh, Don, we'll start with you. Sure. Um, well, you know, the my, my team is broadly uh, split into three main areas. We focus on the financial aspect of the business, uh, risk, and then uh, corporate strategy and development. You know, within the financial side of the role, we have uh, finance and accounting, which is led by uh, David Attaway and our corporate actuarial team, which is led by Eric Lynn. And they're focused primarily on reporting and analysis of the company's income statement balance sheet. Uh, they also work with closely with the business unit leaders uh, on to help them understand the drivers of the profitability and, and consult with them to uh, better improve profitability within their business. Then on the risk side, we have enterprise risk management, or we refer to as ERM for short, and uh, internal audit. Uh, ERM is focused on identifying, monitoring, and, and uh, uh, managing risk across the organization uh, in, in, in all ways, investments, products, operations, and uh, financial risk and strategic risks. And then internal audits focus primarily on ensuring we have adequate controls around those risks to mitigate the risk going forward. And then finally, corporate strategy and develop development are focused on the strategy and growth for the organization, both through supporting our existing businesses. Our existing businesses have their own strategic teams. And so my team is focused more on how do we coordinate, how do we support that strategy, and also looking at uh, acquisitions and partnerships. Um, you know, end of the day, there's a lot of overlap between the groups, uh, but they work really well together. Um, so we we function fairly well as a team. And then you asked the question, how does the CFO role uh, work with the, the chief investment officer? And I'd say, I'd say it's safe to say uh, we work very closely together. Uh, you think about it from a financial perspective, the uh, investment portfolio is half our balance sheet. Um, and, and return on investments are critical to the critical driver to the, the earnings that we have on a on an annual basis. You know, you think about it, our spread earnings are our primary uh, earnings driver, the difference between what we earn on investments versus what we credit to our policyholders. So working very closely with the investment team to understand uh, what's driving the, the earnings is, is very important. How we can maximize earnings uh, is also very important. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, and, and Holly, just in terms of, of that, my role as, as a CIO and our investment team, really our primary role is to, to oversee and manage the investment strategy of SFG uh, and all the uh, investment you know, operations in terms of, of you know, working with our third-party asset managers, uh, giving them direction, ensuring that, that what we're doing within our investment uh, portfolios 
align with our businesses and our overall financial objectives. So you can really see how this this uh, this function really has to tie in very closely to what Don and his team are doing, um, but likewise also into into what's going on in the rest of the business in terms of, of understanding what the needs of the business units are from the investment portfolio uh, and, and and calibrating our our strategies to to be able to to have maximum benefit for our businesses. Well, that uh, leads us right into our next topic. So we know it's time for an update on the economy. And I know that we have a lot of questions on our listeners' minds, like when will inflation relent? And what about a recession? And how does all of this impact our business? But um, before we get into that, I want to touch on some of the big headlines we've been seeing this past week or two. Um, about the kind of epic collapse of a bank, uh, not exactly a household name, Silicon Valley Bank. And this thing folded, unfolded, sorry, very quickly, um, something like 48 hours from the time the bank announced it was closing its doors to the FDIC stepping in and taking control. So what what happened there? What exactly went wrong with, with the banks? Well, uh, let's start with, with the, 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 the key issue with uh, Silicon Valley Bank, and and uh, you know, let's, I think that's the that's the the poster child of the situation. We've had three recent bank failures, and uh, and, and significant turmoil, you know, in the in the in the bank industry, particularly in the smaller regional banks. Um, and and the concern really is that that you know, in a in a period of very very low interest rates, some banks took depositor assets and and invested in and longer term investments. Now, Holly, typically this is what banks do. Um, most banks have uh, you know, very diverse depositor basis and, and those depositors, you know, those deposits tend to be very sticky. They tend to be deposits that are in checking accounts um, uh, or in savings accounts. They tend to be uh, deposits that are that are you know from small businesses that 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 are that are using those deposits to 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 run their business with the cash flow in and out of that business, um, and 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 with those deposits, banks typically will invest in in you know they'll go out and lend lend those deposits out to to make a profit. Um, that's how the banking system works. It's been designed that way. The main you know tenet is that depositors you know won't need all their money all at once. Uh, and that they the banks will have sufficient liquidity to to cover whatever deposit you know are withdrawn at any given point in time. So if this is if this is normal business for for the banks, what what specifically? How did it go so badly for this bank in particular? Yeah, so this bank had the unique situation of a having all of its eggs in one basket, so to speak, meaning its depositors. Many, many, many of them, over 90% of their deposits were uninsured, meaning that they were over the $250,000 federally insured deposit limit. Um, And they were very concentrated in a a single uh, region and industry uh, in the in sort of the the Silicon Valley area tech space in particular, uh, serving a lot of of tech companies and, and venture capital firms. And so what you would ordinarily think of deposits as being you know, diversified and very stable, um, you know, in the current modern world with, you know, electronic banking and, and, and very easy 
you know, forms of communication and social media, uh, you know, they had a, a when, when people saw that they had held uh, a lot of bonds that they had purchased, you know, in very low periods of interest rates uh, and had had unrealized losses in, in their bond portfolio, uh, some folks got got skittish, got scared and decided to pull their money and, and tell others to do so, too. And all of a sudden it became a, a traditional run the bank scenario, much like you saw in It's a Wonderful Life, you know, you know with, with Jimmy Stewart. And it's not supposed to happen, right? We've supposedly built in protections to prevent that from happening and to have orderly unwinds. But I think, you know, the concentration risk that was taken there, uh, enough of a mismatch of assets and liabilities, and it was meaningful, um, you know, in terms of how much how much of their assets they put into the longer term uh, maturity investments with interest rates rising as much as they, they've risen. And, and, you know, that the Fed, pushing rates higher has really, you know, created losses on bond portfolios. All bond portfolios have losses. Our bond portfolio has losses. Um, but but the, the question is, you know, do you have to monetize those losses? Do you need to do you need to go sell those bonds to pay your pay your liabilities, to pay your depositors? And 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 in this situation, Silicon Valley Bank was, you know, they had a, a, tr a traditional run on the bank scenario where they needed to come up with cash to pay their depositors. Now, be mindful of the fact that there are a lot of programs for a bank like Silicon Valley Bank uh, to be able to get liquidity to pay depositors. That's what the Fed is for, right? The Fed is the lender of last resort. And, uh, you know, they were actually working with the Fed to try and solve the problem, but this unraveled too quickly. Uh, and and uh, the, the, the fear was that the deposit flight would continue. And so the federal government effectively decided to, to take over the bank. You mentioned a term unrealized losses. What does that mean? So, you know, when, when you own a bond, let's just say someone bought a bond in, in 2020, you know, just, you know, in the depths of, of, of COVID when, when uh, in an emergency uh, type of environment, we had lowered interest rates to basically 0%, right? So, you know, you have a, a you know, a very low yielding, a bond. Let's just say someone bought a bond that had a one percent, you know, coupon on it. Well, you know, if today you could go out and buy that same bond or a very similar bond for the, with a five percent coupon, obviously the one with one percent is worth a lot less, right? So, so that's that's the issue. You know, the bond the bond you bought back then is has lost value, and now we haven't actually sold it. You know, you know, the the, the banks haven't sold it. It's sitting on their books. In fact. Most of these things were held as held to maturity assets, um, but you know they were expecting to hold them through the life of that bond uh, and would never realize a loss on it. But if you had to sell it today, you'd have to realize a loss on it, and that was the issue. Meaning that that when you you know when you actually sell the sell the bond into the marketplace for a price, you know the price you get is lower than what you paid for it, and, that, and that's just an accounting term, Holly. But you know effectively there's a there's an unrealized loss on a bond even if you haven't sold it yet. And that's what we, you know, when, when people look at the books of banks, they can see, you know, you know, if they had to sell it today, would they have to re realize or recognize a loss in that sale? So the other banks right now are, are taking a look at their own unrealized losses and determining what happens next, or how are the other, how, how is this not going to spread to like the entire banking system? Well, and then that's why we are in what 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 you see this sort of banking turmoil is all about because it's it's not just uh, 
you know, Silicon Valley Bank that has unrealized losses. Many, many banks have unrealized losses. And in fact, I would say the vast majority do. But, but the question is, are they going to need to realize them? The reality is, if you held these assets to maturity and, and, and they eventually mature, um, these, these banks would be fine. Um, but again, the assets that are in question here are not risky assets. Most of these assets were government bonds. It's just, it's just that, you know, it's all a function of the fact that, that the Fed raised interest rates really aggressively and that lowered bond prices. So if you held bonds, the price the value of those bonds have declined. And if you have to sell them to, to pay your depositors, you're going to have to take a loss. And when that loss becomes sufficiently large, larger than the bank's capital, that becomes a concern, right? So, so that's where we're at. I, I think the, the reality is that the markets have looked through all the, the, you know, the banks that are out there. There are others that are, you know, um, what I would call the next domino to fall. If the thing, if this, if this turmoil got worse, you could see it happen to a couple of other banks. But I think what what what's really happened is the Fed has put in some programs to to add liquidity to to banks and to allow them to continue to operate without having to sell these 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 underwater bonds, um, and that liquidity has has prevented further banks from from having to fail at this point. And so you know if I were to look at the banking system where we're at today, I would say you know it's my opinion that that. The Fed and and the FDIC do not want to have another bank failure, and they can prevent that. They've put in, you know, this program called the Bank Term Funding Program, and it's it's allowing banks to borrow at very attractive levels from the government to be able to have liquidity to pay depositors if if there were further deposits that were being withdrawn. Uh, but we're also seeing deposits, the flight of deposits. So, you know, when when Silicon Valley Bank uh, failed, we saw a lot of depositors pulling their money out of out of banks, uh, and particularly out of smaller banks. Um, and many of them were taking their money and putting them into larger banks or into uh, money market mutual funds. And we've seen that flight of deposits from smaller banks really diminish. Um, I'll give it put it in context. Small banks. Uh, Two weeks ago, uh, had $196 billion withdrawn from their deposit base. Um, and this past week had $6 million actually got deposited into their deposit base. Oh, wow. So we're actually seeing, we've, we've seen that stabilize materially. Um, so, so I think that's a function of, of the programs that the Fed's put in and the, the, the folks that were, were, were quick to pull their money have done it. And, and, and so now it's really a question of, you know, as we look forward, you know, can can the banks, you know, that, that have had some deposit flight operate effectively, you know, into the future, and you know, we 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 might see some profitability pressures and some other things, and there may be some you know bank mergers occurring to to kind of clean some of the stuff up. But my sense is that we're sort of on the back end of the banking turmoil. Um, and so that's that's what it feels like. It's certainly possible that we could see you know renewed pressure. But uh, there's been a lot, of, a lot of work done to, to alleviate this issue uh, without, by the way, what everyone was really talking about, which was trying to get the government to come in and insure all depositors. And, and we, we really didn't want to do that. That's, you know, having, having our banking system be fully insured by the government uh, would, would have many, many un unintended consequences that, that, you know, 
we, we haven't even started to 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 dig into. I think this what they've done is 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 probably the uh, the best resolution of a of a difficult problem. I I know I just want to add something, John. You mentioned that you know the unrealized gain, unrealized losses in the portfolio of banks. That that Salmon's also has unrealized losses in our portfolio, and that's true. Um, but I also think it's important to uh, point out that uh, insurance companies are not like banks. Um, you know, could this could something like what's happening that happened to Silicon Valley Bank happen to to Salmon's? And I'd say it's highly unlikely. You know, for a couple of reasons. First, insurance products are are completely different than uh, bank products. You think about bank products; they tend to be very liquid, uh, and and the primary uh, you know focus of the investor is what kind of return are they getting uh, for that liquidity. And um, <clears throat> for, when you think about insurance products, they're you know they're they're much more uh, long term in nature. You, you think about it; they're they're focused on long term tax deferred growth, lifetime income. You know, insurance against an untimely death. You know, if, if a policyholder were to surrender their insurance contract, they're they're typically going to give up a significant benefit, uh, which with the, which they built up over the years. So it's much less likely to to see a, a policy surrender to start with. And the other big difference is in how uh, insurance companies invest versus what's happened in some of the banks. Uh, insurance companies are very focused on making sure that they match their assets and liabilities. So we are, we are very closely duration matched. That's another way to look at that as we look, we project the cash flows of our liabilities and the cash flows of our assets. And we try to the best we can to match those uh, uh, over the, the lifetime of the policy. So we're very closely matched where the banks, I think as John mentioned, some of them got in trouble uh, by having very short uh, liabilities, their deposits, and but long assets. And so when interest rates moved, uh, the value of those assets went down. Their policyholders decided to leave to find a better rate elsewhere, or they had concerns about the bank, and uh, you had the run of the bank type scenario. And so that's that's a that's a really a completely different risk uh, profile than we have have with uh, with Salmon's. That's helpful. Um, thinking about all of this, do do you guys think that that this whole crisis has is settled down now or it's going to continue to settle down i mean what's your feeling on the future state of all of this look i think we're in the you know it's probably the late innings of this uh it's it's a there's still a lot you know more that people will you know dig on it's 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 the markets that's what markets do they're, they're looking for our weaknesses and 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 try to exploit it but i think i think uh the, the programs that have been put in place have, have really uh, enabled, you know, any bank that's out there to have liquidity, access to liquidity to pay any deposits that, that are that are needed. And and since you know, seeing that we have less, you know, this this sort of you know this slowdown in deposit flight. In fact, you know, as I said, small banks we saw an increase in deposits last week. To me, that's that's a good sign. I think I think we're moving in the right direction. Um, I think. There's a the, the reality is I think folks know that that you know when you have a rising rate environment something's gonna you're gonna break something when you when you raise rates as much as you've raised them so we, we've seen something break um, I think it's it's actually probably you know mitigated the expectation of of future rate hikes from the Fed as well so it's going to change some some behavior as well um, does it does it have Further economic implications for fighting inflation. It might take a little longer to get inflation to come down, 
Um, but all in all, I think this instance has done what the Fed was hoping it would do. Um, it has created, you know, tighter financial conditions. It has created a concern uh, for people, you know, who are risk takers. Uh, you know, there's definitely been a risk off tone in terms of how how people are are deploying capital, and and I think generally speaking, uh, that's what the Fed was trying to do and trying to engineer with its with, with its rate hikes. So, you know, some people say that this 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 bank turmoil is equivalent to you know two rate hikes. In short, I think you know we were going to go through some challenges as the Fed kept hiking rates. This was just the happened to be the 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 one that that bubbled to the surface first. And you know, I would say that <clears throat> that means that while we may be, you know, nearing the end of the banking turmoil, it doesn't mean that we're nearing the end of all turmoil and we we are likely to see further pressure on the economy and 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 other things, you know, popping up that that will be a consequence of of higher interest rates uh, as we move towards what is widely assumed to be a, an upcoming recession. Not necessarily a deep one, but 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 a but one nonetheless. Okay, well, let's talk about that. So, I mean, turning to the economy, the books are closed on 2022. We're hearing reports of slowed growth and lingering inflation. I mean, the news kind of paints a grim picture these days. But you know, how much of that is clickbait versus real doom and gloom for our economy? Well, a lot of it is clickbait because you know the word recession has has you know these these you know images of dire consequences and you know the reality is we are our employment condition in the United States is better than it's ever been uh, we have the lowest unemployment in history um, you know we we actually need to to uh, reduce the the labor force somewhat so that we can have you know more slack in the labor force so that we can have you know companies that want to hire people and need to hire people have have the have the people there for them to hire and and uh you know that's part and parcel of reducing inflation uh so you know i, I think to some extent having some modest you know uh pullback in the economy is probably a good thing certainly over the long run um it's never a good thing for the person who's who's losing their job and there there are going to be layoffs they are they're currently happening you're seeing them in in a number of industries but it's 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 essential for us to to have a an, an economy that's operating without you know really high levels of inflation and inflation is is a really terrible uh, condition for 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 many in our economy where they you know it erodes their savings and their purchasing power and any any gains they get in in earnings you know get eroded with inflation so it really it really is a an, an important aspect to to try and try and reduce inflation uh, we are when you when you think about where we're at in that process, uh, you know what's happened here with the bank turmoil and what would likely happen as we as as we slow down and go into a recession uh, would be would be to to see inflation you know really really getting uh, nipped in the bud and that's when we can start to grow again. It's sort of think of it as a as a time to just reset. And and I would say yes, we're at. If you're going to ever have a recession, now's the perfect time, right? Because we're we're at such low levels of unemployment, and consumers are, are you know, as 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 a whole, uh, the the consumer balance sheet, their savings, 
uh, the, the, the value of their homes, um, they've never, never been stronger. So uh, then add in corporations and their, their balance sheets have, have never been stronger as well. So when we have a recession, I think it's one that will be relatively shallow uh, because of the, the, the fact that we're going into it in, on such healthy footing. What's interesting um, is, you know, from a salmon's perspective, you know, we, we are definitely seeing turmoil in the markets. Um, you know, inflation's not a good thing, as John mentioned, but but inflation typically results in, in rising interest rates. And we talked about some of the challenges with rising interest rates, but there's also some positives. Uh, you know, we, we talked over the years about spread compression on our business. Our portfolio yields coming down and, and bumping up against guarantees on our underlying products and the rising interest rate environment we have seeing uh, higher new money rates and we're seeing the portfolio yields uh, level off and actually starting to increase a little bit so we're actually seeing a, a decline in the spread compression that we've seen and, and we expect that to continue uh, going forward and that'll that'll mean uh, more a positive uh, growth in our earnings as a result of that. It's also worth pointing out. I, I know recessions are are never good uh, for the economy as a whole, but but um, from our product perspective, um, you tend to see uh, business moving out of riskier equity-like products and into uh, safe haven products like fixed annuities and, in particular, indexed annuities, which which protect you against that downside risk. Um, but also give you some uh, some portion of the upside gain if the market does turn around. So, so there are some you know while there are some uh, negatives about the a recession a pending recession and inflation, you know from our business perspective there are also some positives. Yeah, and and if you look back, you know we've 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 been in some market turmoil for the last three years running. You know going back to the start of the pandemic. And um, and we've certainly managed through that quite well. In fact, we've seen uh, record sales and record earnings uh, throughout the, la the last two years in particular. And, and so we, we've been able to navigate these uh, rough waters, if you will, quite well. Yeah, the investment portfolio is also an interesting thing in an environment like this, because while you see a recession, you know, causes some challenges with respect to people's jobs and uh, broader things in the economy from our perspective, you know, and our, our investment portfolio, uh, you know, any, any cash flow that we get to reinvest, we tend to get to reinvest it at, at much wider credit spreads, which gives us, you know, you know, these are, these are times when there is opportunity and, you know, as a, from an investor standpoint, some of the best opportunities tend to, to be found, you know, in these types of environments where, where uh, there is a, a lack of investor demand for for assets uh, with 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 the types of risks that we typically invest in. So there are there are pitfalls and there are opportunities. It's it's sort of a you know we have and we, and our our role is to manage manage through that and make sure that we can continue to deliver the yields in the portfolio to uh, you know, remain competitive and keep growing our, our our business. So it's a little bit of a a, a good news bad news <laughs> situation. Um, okay, so as we wrap things up. And look at the road ahead. Um, I want to ask each of you to comment on two things, and it's related to this good news, bad news. What keeps you up at night? And conversely, what are you hopeful or most excited about? So, yeah, you know, as far as what keeps me up at night, I don't know if I'd say anything. There's anything that isn't is keeping me up at night, but there's certainly 
things that are always things on the horizon that that have my attention. You know, we've touched on them uh, throughout this podcast, but you know, primarily the the current economic and interest rate environment. You know, we, you know, will rates go up or down? Will we have a recession? And if so, uh, how severe will it be? And what sec- sectors will be impacted? And uh, what impact will it have on our investment portfolio and capital position? You know, where can we pivot and find value both now and in the future? These are all things that we're constantly thinking about in any environment. Um, so we need to be focused on the risks, but we also need to be focused on the potential opportunities to not only survive, but to sur- but to thrive in the current environment like we've done over the last two years. And then you asked what gives me hope. And I, I would say there's two things. You know, first, I think we have the right people and the right leadership in place to manage through the risks and to thrive in, in this and, and virtually any economic environment. And second, you know, we've proven, as I mentioned before, we've proven that to be the case time and time again, you know, most recently through the pandemic in the last two years, where we've seen record sales and earnings, despite uh, a lot of volatility and a lot of challenges in the market. So all in all, for me, the, the there, you know, there are challenges, but uh, the future, in my opinion, is very bright. All right. How for you, John? I, I think for me, I mean, uh, my my role is, is in markets and capital markets pretty much they keep you up at night all the time it's a but it's really the systemic unknowns of the market not because of our investment portfolio specifically i think we have a a a well diversified high quality investment portfolio and relative to our our peers i think we're in, in well positioned and in fact i think from an opportunity standpoint we've got some great opportunities ahead of us you know as as we we see some of this uh volatility in the market there are you know certain asset classes that we're we're uh, uh, you know starting to deploy in our portfolio that we think you know will give us uh, some competitive edge and and we're we're very excited about that and 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 help that you know we 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 hope to see that continue to support you know the 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 value proposition for for our our, our business units. From my perspective, it's difficult because on the one hand, you know, we are always looking for what's around the corner and what what's the next shoe to drop and what's the next problem that's going to happen. But you also have to be mindful that that happens day in and day out. And 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 you can't just be defensive. You need to be thinking about, you know, how we manage through this and how we manage around it and how we take advantage of these situations. It's a bit of a silver lining, it sounds like. And I will kind of remind, you know, listeners too that this this isn't even a full-blown financial crisis yet, right? That we wouldn't we wouldn't call it that. Um, but the last time we were uh, facing a situation like that, I think we we came out pretty um, positioned pretty well, Don, during the the two thousand eight you know financial crisis, um, and that probably goes back to a lot of what you had said before, just about the difference between you know, how our products work and and how we manage our investment portfolio and and all of the stuff that you guys are, thank God, focused on um, day in and day out and keeping us, us pointed in the right direction. So um, John and Don, I want to thank you both for being here um, and giving us a little inside scoop on some of the, the headlines we've been seeing um, putting a little bit of our, our minds at ease here um, and and looking toward the future of 2023. SFG Radio is an internally produced podcast featuring stories about our employees and our business. If you have an idea for an episode, 
reach out to the corporate marketing team 